Tuesday edition of PFTPM, two days away from the 2021 draft. You saw Sean Lee, longtime Cowboys linebacker, announcing his retirement earlier today. Shereen, it is still bizarre to see people in press rooms closer than 10 feet to each other with reporters actually there. It's going to take me a while to get used to that. They had Mike Tomlin and Kevin Colbert yesterday with reporters in the room in Pittsburgh. It's just strange. We're so used to what became the new normal. Now we've got this new, new normal, and I don't know what is ever going to feel normal again. I'm waiting to see if Jerry Jones is going to have his post-game press conferences again, Mike, with 70, 80, 100 people gathered around him and all bunched up. I don't know that he's actually going to go for that, but we'll see how that works out. But we missed those this year. We missed a lot of things this year. Yeah, and still to be determined how much this year looks like 2019 or 2020 or somewhere in between. Let's hope it's closer to 2019. The 2021 draft is going to look far different than last year. It will be in Cleveland. There are 13 players who will be there. There are fans who will be there, different levels based upon vaccination. The fans that aren't vaccinated will have masks on and be socially distanced. So uh, however it goes, it's coming And it's going to be fun. It's going to be one of the most unpredictable drafts that I can ever recall because the scouting is so flawed this year because of opt-outs, because of teams that didn't play many games, because of no scouting combine, no private workouts, no player visits to teams. Who the hell knows how it's going to look? One thing we do know, though, the Cowboys, at number 10, they will have potentially, Shireen, their pick of all defensive players. It's kind of like having the first overall pick in the draft if they weren't going to take anybody on offense. Now, I don't know that they will go defense, but it's kind of nice to have their pick of the entire defensive draft board. Yeah, Mike, when you start looking at it, those five quarterbacks can go, and then Kyle Pitts, and then Penny Sewell, who you talked to today, then Jamar Chase, then Jalen Waddell, not necessarily in that order, but we can see all those guys go. That's nine guys. So then the Cowboys would have their pick of defensive players. It'd almost be like having the number one pick in the draft in in some respects. They need defense, Mike. They need defense bad. We know what they have on offense. They sacrificed that first-round pick last year defensively to go get CeeDee Lamb. I get it. They can't afford to do that this year. They were last uh, in franchise history last year in points allowed. They had never allowed more points in franchise history than they did last season. They've got to improve that defense if they're going to contend, and we all know that they expect to contend because we hear that repeatedly year after year after year. But this draft could work out well for them, Mike, and they have the best. uh, We'll find out who the best player on their board defensively is if they pick a defensive player. All right, Cowboys trivia. Who is the last defensive player the Cowboys took first overall? Who is he in what year? Go. Russell, Russell, Maryland. What year? Russell, Maryland, right? Uh, what year? Whoo, that would uh-huh, have been. Aha. Uh-huh. Stumped. Pressure's on. 92. 91. Wah, wah, wah. Uh. 91. That was it. Remember when we didn't know what Rocket Ismail was going to do? And he ended up going to play right. in yeah. the CFL for the Bruce McNall, Wayne Gretzky team, and John Candy was involved in some way. I, I got to go. I got to go back down that rabbit hole. But Rocket Ismail went to Canada initially. All right. Here's Jerry Jones talking about draft philosophy for the Cowboys this year will they take a defensive player will they just primarily focus on their needs and what are their needs let's hear some from Jerry Jones I think that uh, we've got a good chance to uh, uh, have a top defensive player the top one of the top be there uh, at 10 I think the real thing to do is uh, don't be don't be stupid over uh, your needs. Just, just don't, don't be ridiculous. Well, and here, here's the reality because we, we've got one mock draft that we do at PFT, and I'm going to go on record and say I didn't do it. I farm it out to somebody who has actually been in a draft room, who actually has put a draft board together. Can't say who it is, but that's who I've relied on the past several years. And I didn't tinker with it at all. And I'll give you a little preview, Shireen. At number 10, our mock draft, which is going to drop at some point tonight, most likely, unless I just procrastinate, don't get it done, does not have the Cowboys taking a defensive player. It hasn't taken a tackle. 
Because that is a okay. th- hey, that offensive yeah. line it's is unique. crumbling before our very eyes. Yeah. Well, and that's what Bill Parcells always said, right? You you build with the lines, offensive line, defensive line. Those are the most important things. That's how you build a team. Jerry finally listened to him and built that offensive line to one of the best in the NFL. But you're right. You look at how many games Tyron Smith played last season, it was fewer than half. You look at how many games Lyle Collins played last year, it was zero. You look at uh, Zach Martin, he he missed a bunch of games last season. So, yes, they need those players to stay healthy. And I'm not sure that Tyron Smith can stay healthy. I mean, he's had back and neck issues for a long time now. And despite the fact that he's only 30 years old or won't turn 30 until this year, I just think they have to address that at some point. So if they pull the trigger on that, I'm not going to argue with that because they do need help on the offensive line. And if that player's rated ahead of any defensive player they have on the board, go for it. I I love how teams this time of year will say they're going to take the best available player, but the reality is their assessment of the best available player is driven by the needs they're trying to fill. Period. I mean, if you have a starting quarterback and the best available player, truly the best available player on your board is a starting quarterback or a quarterback, not a starter, but a rookie, you're not going to take them. You're not going to take them. And if you can't find a trade that you like, you're going to take somebody else, period. So your needs do drive your assessment of who the best available may be. And for the Cowboys, drafting at number 10, they could have their pick of all defensive players or they may go tackle. And we'll find out on Thursday night along with the other 31 picks in round one. Kyler Murray. Now, Shereen, you mentioned him last week in the context of the Bengals possibly taking receiver Jamar Chase and Joe Burrow's comments about that, which were very diplomatic and not necessarily over the top. Go get Jamar. Go get Jamar. Get my former teammate. Because as you pointed out last year, Kyler Murray was very vocal with his desire that the team draft C.D. Lamb, a former Kyler Murray college teammate. Here is Kyler Murray from NFL Network explaining that he believes entering year three of his career that he should have some sort of a say in what the Cardinals do on draft day. Here he is. I do believe I think I have an influence in it. Um, I, I don't know why I wouldn't. You know, I think, if, you know, if you got a guy, a quarterback, and you trust him and you, you know, you want to be the face of the franchise for, you know, a lot of years, I think uh, he should have influence just because, I mean, everything, you know, is technically built around the quarterback. So um, I think I have that relationship with uh, Steve and, and, and Cliff. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm excited to see what we do on Thursday. Look, th- th- this is a debate that comes up in various contexts with various quarterbacks. And some would say, you just play football. You're not involved in management. Remember the story that came out this year from The Athletic about Russell Wilson trying to have a voice in fixing the offense when it was struggling. They had a short week coming up, coincidentally, against the Arizona Cardinals. He had ideas for fixing the offense. Seahawks said, thank you, no thank you. Shereen, I'm a firm believer that if you expect your starting quarterback to be basically a manager working among the other employees, which is what a true leader is going to do, show up early, stay late, study the playbook, hold guys accountable, set the right example, be the emissary for management. Management tells the quarterback what it wants the players to do, and the quarterback ends up being the one who communicates the message and keeps everyone in line. Ideally, that's how it works. If you're going to expect that out of your quarterback, you can't freeze him out. You just can't. You can't tell him, sit down, shut up, you just work here. So I don't know that influence is the right answer, but I definitely think they should hear him out. I think it's smart to hear out your key players, your guys who you're building the team around. And with quarterbacks becoming more and more important every year, yeah, if you've got a guy that you're going to value for years into the future, why do you not want to make him a partner in the way that you're running your football team? Because he's the one who's going to be expected to inspire that guy along with everyone else to elevate the team above the sum of the individual parts. That's what a great quarterback can do. So I think you empower your quarterback to have a voice. And if you disagree with what he's saying, you, you have the respect for him that he's going to understand it. And you talk to him like an adult and you tell him why you're going to go in a different direction. It's not that complicated. Yeah, you answered my question, Mike, and I was going to ask if Kyler Murray had earned that one Pro Bowl that frankly should have gone to Tom Brady last season, no playoff appearances. But you answered it because, yes, they do value him as their franchise quarterback. That's how they see him as their franchise quarterback. 
I would say this. I would think he would have more say if they're looking on the offensive side of the ball. I just remember Troy Aikman going and working out prospects one year, throwing with the tight ends. Couldn't do that this year, but throwing with the tight ends and the receivers and players that they were interested in. I know he did that. And so then they got his feedback, and, and that's perfectly acceptable if, if something like that happens. And, you know, Kyler Murray was in college recently, and so he knows many of these college players. He played against them, so he can give you feedback. So I don't think it hurts to get that feedback, but do I want him making my pick? Probably not. But I would take his feedback and listen to him, and maybe he makes a good point on this thing. But I tell you what, Mike. This is another team that better go defense considering how they ranked offensively last season and how they ranked defensively or 13th in total defense last year. They've got to improve that defense again if they're going to contend, especially in the hardest division in football. Hey, you know, let me take it a step farther, Shereen, because if I had a young quarterback that I envisioned being the centerpiece of the franchise for years to come, and I think it's fair to call Kyler Murray that, I would find ways. If he's a guy who lives in town all year long, is around. Now, I know they're limited in what they can do by way of meeting with players in the offseason, but I would find a way to get him involved, as involved as I possibly can, with free agency preparations, with draft preparations. Teach him how to evaluate personnel. Who better, as he grows and matures and develops as a player, than the quarterback to understand how they go about looking for talent, what they go about looking for. Teach him the language. Teach him that skill. Think of the way that quarterbacks, and and look at the guys like John Elway, who became a great executive in Denver despite having very limited experience, and I had concerns about him getting that job when he did because it's not like anybody else was trying to hire him. It was a Denver thing. But when you have been that great leader on the field, you could develop into a great leader. They could be grooming a great GM for another team, frankly. But I I think that if you've got a guy who's all in and you've got the quiet months where, you know, he's working out on his own and he's doing things, and he wants to do it. If he wants to do it, if he wants to learn, if he loves it that much, I just think that there's a lot of value there in having one of your key players fully understand what you're looking for all in in the planning process, all in in the scouting process. It could be a very valuable tool that teams aren't taking advantage of. And there's certain quarterbacks in the league, Mike, that I absolutely would listen to their opinions. That's Tom Brady and Russell Wilson and uh, Aaron Rodgers and those guys we know uh, out there who, who you definitely would listen to, to what they want and what they think. And, and they look at these. I guarantee you Tom Brady looks at these players and probably gives them feedback on who he wants. We saw it in free agency a lot. We saw it last year a lot. So, um, yeah, if they want to give Kyler Murray some of those powers and he wants to learn how to do it, how to watch film correctly and, and figure out who they might draft, go for it and, and do a good job at it and they can listen to him. And they don't have to take what he says and, and make that their draft pick because it's their jobs on the line, not necessarily Kyler Murray's job on the line. So they need to make those picks for who they think the best player is, not who Kyler Murray says the best player is. But they can have a good discussion about it for sure, Mike, especially on the offensive side of the ball. You may have noticed a snippet of Bears general manager Ryan Pace in the one minute of sound that started the show. Pace explained to reporters that the Bears are ready for every scenario if a first-round trade is available. They're ready to move up. They're ready to move down. They've earned spot number 20 with their 8-8 eight and eight record last year that got them the seventh seed in the NFC. Now, a lot of this is obvious, and we've had fun with this on Twitter and elsewhere. Insert name of team can trade up can trade down or use the pick that they currently have. That pretty much applies to everyone. And the teams, the general managers, the executives, they talk in advance of the draft. Hypotheticals, for instances, what would it take to move up? What are you thinking if we would have a guy there that we like at number 12? Could we do a deal? Is it possible? You have that foundation set so when you get the 10-minute window and the team's on the clock, you can either get it done or not get it done. The thing with the Bears, though, is this. Because Sims has in his mock draft Washington trading up to number eight to take quarterback Trey Lance. They're at number 19, and the Bears are at 20. The Bears, when it comes to trading up, and this is something that Sims and I have talked about, Peter King and I talked about it. I go on the score in Chicago a couple of times a week, and it's come up there as well. Because you've got this perception slash reality that Pace is on the hot seat and that Matt Nagy, the coach of the team, are on the hot seat, even though they've been to the playoffs two of the last three years, it is kind of weird. 
can you get clearance to trade up and give up future assets that you may not be there to use, for example, to get a quarterback? And then you get that quarterback and you've got a potentially mismatched set of GM, coach and quarterback in 2022 if they do make a change and they bring in people who look at that quarterback they traded up to get and say, eh, no, thank you. I think that it's going to take the ultimate blessing of Virginia McCaskey before they would trade up because as the Bears, you have to know eyes wide open, you're essentially buying a problem. You're either guaranteeing jobs through 2022 or maybe beyond, or you're going to put yourself in a spot where it gets very awkward when you bring in, if you bring in new GM, new head coach next year, and they say, God, we'd love to have our first round pick this year instead of this quarterback that we never would have drafted. Yeah, Mike, a couple things on that. It didn't work out so well, as you said, when they moved up to number two overall to take Mitchell Trubisky. We know that. It just didn't work out. And and frankly, Ryan Pace could have lost his job over that. And some of the picks that they've made in recent years are not made in recent years because of the Khalil Mack trade, those first rounders. They, they haven't worked out quite like they had hoped they worked out. I'm not an expert on the draft by any stretch of the imagination, but people I talk to within the league tell me that the drafts in 2022 and 2023 are going to be way better than this draft. So I believe them that the next two drafts are going to be better than this draft. So if I'm a team, I am not trading draft capital for the next two years to go up and take a player who might or might not make it. I'm going to sit tight. If the quarterback falls to me that I like, great. And if he doesn't, I'm going to go get another player and hope that Andy Dalton can do enough this year to, to win for me or whether – People above Ryan Pace are making that decision, whatever. Here's the other thing, Mike. We know they were all in on Russell Wilson, right? Russell Wilson could be traded after this year. He could be traded after June 1st, for that matter. Aaron Rodgers could be traded after this year. Probably not going to go to Chicago, but he could be traded. Deshaun Watson, we know they had interest in Deshaun Watson. He will be traded at some point. I think if you're the Bears, you sit tight and you either wait to draft a quarterback in 2022 or you wait to trade for one of those guys. People forget all these guys could be on the market next year, and it could be a great quarterback-driven uh, free agency or trade or whatever next year if, if these teams get rid of their quarterbacks. And it looks like they could do that. So some of these teams are going to be sitting pretty next year that don't get their quarterback this year. And we know that the Bears reportedly tried to make a run to get Russell Wilson, but they just didn't have enough ammunition to get yeah. Seattle's attention. And also, pre-June 1, Seattle takes a $39 million cap charge to trade Russell Wilson. Post-June 1, it's $13 million, with the other $26 million hitting the cap next year. That could be a post-June 1 trade. That could be a deal that gets done draft weekend, frankly, that goes through June 2. We have seen time and again trades get done unofficially late January, like the Alex Smith trade to Washington a couple of years ago. There have been other trades this year, the Jared Goff trade, Matthew Stafford. That was done in late January, early February, and then it's just pending. Same thing can happen now. Pending, we're going to put the paperwork through on June 2nd to manage the cap hit. That still is a possibility. I guess the Bears would still be a possibility, although we'll see how that goes. Also, as it relates to the Bears, oh, one last thing about Chicago, because I think the wild card in all of this is team president Ted Phillips, who has been there since 1999. He's been the one who's hired the general managers and the coaches. If he is going to be on the hot seat as well, then maybe there's a powerful ally for Pace and Nagy if they are cajoling for permission to trade up. If Phillips says, I'd do it because Phillips knows, excuse me, that maybe I'm going to be gone too, that could be the thing that gets it done. But if the Bears would make that move up, you'd have to assume that at the highest levels of the organization, they're comfortable with what that means. What that means is Pace and Nagy had better be staying or you end up with a mess in 2022 when there's a new coach or a new GM and a quarterback that they may not have wanted. Linebacker Roquan Smith, the Bears have exercised the 2022 option on him. May 3rd is the deadline for doing it. We're hearing about more and more teams that are going ahead and exercising the option pre-draft. Most notably, the Panthers, for whatever reason, who knows? They have a, they have a strong plan. They'll tell us what it is when they feel compelled to do so. They have not yet exercised that Sam Donald fifth-year option and perhaps all that that implies and... 
you know, I we played the other day, Scott Fitterer, the GM of the team, when he explained that. And I always like to see the actual comments because you get a chance to read the poker face or lack thereof. I think that they aren't going quarterback at eight, but they'd like others drafting behind them to think they are and maybe be tempted to leapfrog the Panthers and push down the board the non-quarterback that they would really like to get. That was my read when Fitterer explained it because he made kind of a little smile that made me think, yeah, this is a little bit of a gamesmanship thing here. This isn't we're going to pull the rug out from under Sam Darnold. This is there's no reason to do it, and if we're not going quarterback, even if there's one there at eight, let's go ahead and make the Broncos think there is. Maybe the Broncos will jump up to seven, take a guy we were never going to take, and then the guy we want is more likely to be there. Yeah, it makes perfect sense, Michael. Maybe they want to trade down, too, and acquire some of those picks for 2022 and 2023 that they can get that we know the draft's going to be better in those two years. So, yeah, they they have had a great poker face so far and what they're trying to do. But, Mike, back to the fifth-year options, too, on all these guys. You know, when teams pick those up, that tells you that they've drafted pretty well, right? Most times when they pick up those fifth-year options. So you look at a team like Chicago – they didn't pick it up on Mitchell Trubisky. They didn't pick it up on Kevin White for obvious reasons. They initially picked it up on Leonard Floyd and then said, see you later and get out. So they have failed in that fifth-year option. And then you look at a team like the Bucks, Mike, this is the fifth year in a row they've picked up that fifth-year option. And, yeah, Jameis is gone. I get that. But Mike Evans, Vita Vea. Vernon Hargraves, O.J. Howard, they've picked up those fifth-year options because they've been for really good players. And that's, to me, one reason that's kind of overlooked in, this, in the Bucks Super Bowl season. Yes, they got Tom Brady, and they needed him to get them over the top, but they have drafted pretty darn well the last few years. Other and than kickers. The thing to, the, yeah, well, that's right. That's right. No second-round kickers or any-round kickers. But the thing to keep in mind, this year is the first time that that fifth-year option is fully guaranteed when exercised. It used to be it was guaranteed for injury only, so you could still cut the guy before the first day of the league year of that fifth year. Now, the moment you exercise it, that money is locked in. That money is guaranteed. That player is either on your team or not on your team, regardless, you're paying him in that fifth year. All right, let's go ahead and take a break. How are teams viewing prospects who opted out? Penny Sewell joins us later in the program. He opted out. We'll ask him about that. Before that, we'll talk about what teams are saying. We'll do that next on PFTPM. All right. Uh, Opt-outs, a major issue last year for college players and for plenty of professional players. Nearly 70 NFL players opted out. It was a confusing time. It was a scary time. Players were concerned about their own health. They were concerned about their families' health, and especially at the college level where there wasn't a strong collective cohesive presence with standards that were the same at every school. You never really knew what the protections were going to be, especially when it was time to play and you may be facing a school that had far looser guidelines than your university had. So there has been some sound this week from various folks in the NFL about the opt-out dynamic. Let's hear first from Steelers general manager Kevin Colbert on this issue of opt-outs and how it affects the Steelers' evaluation of the players they may or may not be drafting. As I stated in the summer, if a player chooses to opt out for whatever reason, um, that's their decision and we will, we will respect it. However, if a player played in 2020 and those players are of equal value, one that didn't play and one that played, we'll take the one that played because we don't know what the opt-outs will be like in their first season back in football. I, we believe it's hard to sit this game out. Sometimes it happens because of injury. Um, but this time it was, you know, it was pandemic related for the most part. Um, but we will take the players again if they're close. And it's not to say we're not going to draft somebody that opted out. Um, I couldn't say that. But if I have a choice and we have a choice, we'll take the one that played if their value is close. 
You know, that's a minefield for teams to walk through. I know of at least one top 10 team where if you opted out, the mere fact that you opted out is viewed as a negative. They're never going to admit that. And I don't even want to name who it is, even though I don't think it would be a big deal because I know it's true. But I can understand saying, hey, ultimately, if we've got two guys who are rated exactly the same, and I guess it happens more often than you realize where – you know, there isn't a formula you can punch in to give you 97.23 versus 97.21. Hey, this guy's the winner. I, I get it that you're going to err on the side of the guy that played last year, but you're necessarily punishing the guy who didn't play. But you got to pick one of them. That's the problem. You got two to choose from. All things are equal. One played last year and one didn't. I guess I understand it. It's just hard to harmonize that with we respect the decision to opt out. Yeah, we respect it. We're just not going to draft you. We're going to draft the guy who's the exact same as you but played last year. Well, and what's weird to me about that, and I I get what he's saying, but what's weird to me about that, Mike, is the fact that he talks about injured players. Some players miss a – I would rather have a guy who opted out coming to my team than a guy who was injured all year that, hey, may or may not, that ACL may or may not be ready, that Achilles may or may not be 100%, may or may not come back. So if if it's me drafting, I am more concerned about a player who missed last season because of an injury than because of opting out. Could they have some rust? Yeah, absolutely, but... You're not drafting these guys for one year, Mike. If you're, especially if you're drafting a guy in the first round, you're drafting a guy that you hope is going to be with you ten plus years, right? You hope you're using that fifth round op, fifth year option on him, and he, that he stays for a really long time with you. So this is not a one year decision. So kind of weird to me that that teams feel like this, especially when some of these guys who opted out did it for very good reasons. And and the other side of it too, you could say, if. If one guy played and one guy didn't, and he didn't play because of the pandemic, he's got more tread on the tires. I mean, there is a different way to look at this. Right, yeah, It's actually better if you didn't play, because we know what you can do. The reason you're even with the guy that played last year is because of when you played before that. We're satisfied you're in shape. You didn't show up looking like Dave Gettleman at your pro day workout. That was Gettleman's line last week. They look like <laughs> me. Some of them do. So if you're in the basic shape and they can bring you into the system... If you're a running back, for example, I'd rather have a running back who didn't have 2,000 rushing yards on 400 touches and get banged around all year long. I'd rather have a guy who didn't have that wear and tear because running backs only have so much before the wheels come off between college and pro. So, yeah, you know, there's just something about it that bothers me, the idea that it would be viewed as a negative because that's – the implicit. It's the Nick Saban ands and buts. He's a great player, and he played last year. He's a great player, but he didn't play last year. And that but means that it's viewed in a negative way. Let's hear from Jerry Jones as well on this issue of what it means for the players who chose not to play in 2020. But you've got to uh, take that in consideration, too, if you uh, uh, if the guys had uh, not very much exposure. Guess what? He may not have played last year. May could have, but he didn't. Okay, he didn't because he decided to uh, opt out. So you haven't seen him since the six plays he ran when he was a sophomore. Let's hold him while you're getting ready to make that decision right there. There's a little more something implied in that than Kevin Colbert. Kevin Colbert at least had a, a reasoned explanation we may not agree with the substance of it and you could argue the reverse of it but but Jerry I don't know am I misreading what he said and didn't say I think what he didn't say was even more important it was kind of like yeah you know what if the guy doesn't play well you know yeah, he didn't play and you know I'm, I, I know they're they're walking a fine line there but I think a lot of these teams are going to have a hard time not viewing the decision to not play as a con, not a pro, for the guys that they may or may not draft, Shireen. And how many team, How many times, Mike, do we see a guy redshirt his first year, right? And he might play a little bit as a redshirt freshman, and then he plays as a sophomore a full year, and then he comes out. What's? I don't know what's different than that. Okay, he spent three years there in the film room, in the meeting room, all that. I get that. But he wasn't on the field. It wasn't like he was getting reps, which is something that Jerry pointed out. 
And furthermore, let's look at some of the Cowboys' second-round picks that they've taken flyers on. Sean Lee, Randy Gregory, Jalen Smith. I mean, those guys were coming off of injuries. Jalen Smith didn't play for a whole year. Sean Lee was injured for much of the start of his career. Randy Gregory has been in and out of suspension now. He's back on the team. So they've rolled the dice on a lot of players. And so to say you're not going to roll the dice on a, on a player who opted out of last season, I, I really don't get that. Jerry said that of the guys who didn't play last year, they're compromised. I'd much rather have seen the reps and the plays they got. Coach, help me out here. How many plays in a normal situation would a defensive tackle be playing last year as opposed to not playing? Mike McCarthy said 71 plays, 10 games. So 700 plays, Jerry said. And plus, usually those players, they're the type of player you want, are better from their junior to their senior year. Fair to say? Absolutely, McCarthy says. So that's what you look for, Jerry said. The point is you won't have as much information if they didn't play last year but if what you saw based on the prior year is good enough for them to otherwise be in a spot where you're going to draft them and you think hey they would have been even better last year so they're going to get better once they're in the nfl i i i I, oh god you know i just feel like this is all code for we want robots who submit and if you chose not to play last year You showed us that you are willing to push back against the system, against the grain, and think for yourselves. And we don't want guys who think for themselves. We don't want guys who are going to ask why when they're told to do something. We want guys who are just going to do what we want them to do. I can't help but think, Shireen, that that is the message that is kind of even, and I love Kevin Colbert, but he's, it's just, it's, it's, that's the way football is. Sea to shining sea, every level. What do you want? You don't want free thinkers. You don't want a guy who's going to go off and do his own thing. You want guys who are going to fall in line, do what they're told, and not create distractions for the coach by asking questions about why the coach is doing what he's doing or why the players are being asked to do something that maybe they don't think they should do. I feel like at some level, That's part of this. So why don't you have a problem with guys who opt out of the bowl game, right? I mean, that became a big discussion when Christian McCaffrey did it. It didn't hurt him, right? He's been a great player in this league until last year when he got hurt part of the year. So as much of a problem as it is for these guys opting out, according to some in the NFL, Mike, I think a bigger problem is not having the combine. And I am wondering if they had gone to Indianapolis, if they had done all the medical stuff, if they had run the 40-yard dash on a similar surface, would these concerns have evaporated? Would they have gone away? because they saw them in a different setting up close. Maybe. We don't know that. But I know a lot of guys missed the medical who they had hoped to be there, and they didn't get those medical reports. So they're rolling the dice on some of those guys who have medical problems. And they're rolling the dice that these 40-yard dash times run on fast services at the school are legit. Yeah, I agree with you completely. And look, for the players who opted out and if they think it's going to be held against them, bottom line is if you don't draft me, someone else will. And those players may end up being even more motivated and having better careers than they would have had. And those teams will say, crap, we we shouldn't have viewed it as a negative that the guy chose not to play because he was concerned about his family's health, his own health, and just not knowing how things were going to play out in the 2020 season. Let's take a break. Panay Sewell coming up in about eight minutes. Before that, a quick mailbag segment. More PFTPM right after this. Ray's win 100 has an important question, Shireen. Does Chris Sims really think the Buccaneers will take Justin Fields at 32? Sims has been trending throughout the day because some people are upset that he has Justin Fields lingering to the bottom of the round and then Fields becoming the heir apparent to Tom Brady in Tampa Bay. I don't think Fields is going to last until 32. I think before that would happen, someone would trade back into the bottom half of the round to get him. I think one of these other teams would draft him. So I I don't believe he's going to be there at 32. It's not my mock draft, though. It's Chris's. And, you know, he's, he's entitled to put Fields wherever he wants to put him, Shireen. 
Well, I'm already in Chris Sims's doghouse, so I better tread lightly here. And I was going to set up this show by saying I have a stomach bug, and no, it didn't come from eating a hamburger off the floor of LaGuardia. So now I'm probably even more, even more in his doghouse. But let me just say this: teams are stupid if they let the Buccaneers draft J- Justin Fields at 32. They are just absolutely stupid to let the Bucks do that. They will be set up for a really long time to win in this league. And I'm fascinated by the suggestion from Bucky Brooks of NFL media that maybe the Ravens should think about letting Lamar Jackson graduate like a college program and refilling his spot with Justin Fields. I don't think they're going to do it, but I think it's something interesting to think about. We got to get to this one from Matt Casey. Mike and Shireen, do you think it's a red flag if a prospect had a birthday party and nobody shows up? By the way, loved you in draft day. Middle finger emoji, Matt Casey. Shireen, you got a story that dovetails with this birthday party issue, which was one of the subplots of draft day. I do. It's it's similar to that. So I don't know if you remember this, but Johnny Menzel got arrested at A&M. He was at, out on the town for a night and he ended up in a planner and had a public intoxication charge early in his career. And so that was a red flag for teams. And the reason it was a red flag was not that he was arrested for public intoxication. The reason it was a red flag is his friends all left him, right? If you're the quarterback, your offensive lineman, your receiver, somebody picks you up out of that planner and makes sure you get home, and they didn't do that. So seriously, teams had a red flag on that because his teammates didn't step up and take him home. They wondered why. That is awesome. Some would say you need a fall guy, not a fall into the planter guy, which is what Johnny Manziel <laughs> ended up being, and maybe it, it gave us a glimpse as to the train wreck that was – his career real quickly patty mcgreedy what's the earliest you would draft a running back i wouldn't touch a running back in round one unless i thought it was earl campbell adrian peterson barry sanders emmett smith superstar that i was willing to give the ball to 30 times a game right out of the gate shireen no question unless you're willing to do that mike you wait till the second round or the third round we've seen enough of those running backs be really good out of those rounds just recently, Dalvin Cook, Derrick Henry, Alvin Kamara, or James Robinson, undrafted last year by the Jaguars. Penny Sewell, Oregon tackle, who will be one of the first picks taken, joins us after this on PFTPM. Joining us now, a man whose name you will hear the commissioner recite early in the process on Thursday night, Oregon tackle Penny Sewell. Welcome in. How are you, man? Good. How are you? Good. Best word to describe how you're feeling two days from finding out your football future. Excited. Uh, it's been a long time coming and uh, just ready. You know, I, I, I am a big supporter of the guys who chose not to play last year. There was so much uncertainty, health issues, family issues take precedence over football. Looking back on that, how hard of a decision was that for you to not play football for a year? Uh, it was one of the toughest decisions I had to make in my lifetime uh, to sit out from the game. The thing that I love to do, it was hard. And just like you said, ultimately, the, what came down to the decision, deciding on that was the Pac-12 canceling their season. And uh, the moment that happened, I just had to really weigh my options and see what was on the table and go from there. Yeah. And, you know, in hindsight, it's easy to say, well, guys could have played because, you know, it ended up not being as bad. The NFL got their season in. But at the time, that was an excruciating decision. We didn't know how bad it was going to be. We didn't know who was going to be safe, who wasn't going to be safe. And people had to make prudent decisions. Have you gotten any sense that there are scouts, that there are teams that look differently at you because you made that decision or have they been supportive? Uh, yeah, they've been kind of, yeah, they've been supportive. I'd say, uh, not really saying or questioning my character or whether, on whether I love the game or not. So, uh, nothing like that. What do you say or what would you say to anyone who would say the fact you didn't play last year shows you don't love the game? Uh, man, uh, all I can say is I can show you better than I can tell you and uh, <laughs> just wait on my opportunity and I'll show you without a doubt. Uh, the moment I step in between those lines with that helmet and pads on, uh, you will see that this is not just a game to me. And so that's all I got to say. Peacock, the 
platform that our show streams on has all of the old WWE content. I've been watching a lot of WrestleMania. You got three brothers that play college football. So I got a wrestling question. You okay. put the four Sewells in a ring for a battle royal. Who's left at the end? I'd say myself. I think I'm coming out top. Uh, it'd be a tough one. Uh, little bro starting to get some size to him. Uh, and then there's obviously older bro that uh, my two older brothers that got more quickness and <laughs> agile, definitely more condition, uh, not carrying as much weight as I do. But coming down, I think uh, I wanted more. So, <laughs> now, do you think they would they would be able to to come together and have a deal to gang up on you and throw you over the ropes first, and then they worry about each other? Uh, I hope not. Uh, <laughs> I, I, th I hope we're all just man on for themselves. We're all trying to <laughs> do it for uh the man in the mirror but if they try to team up against me i'm gonna do my best <laughs> i'm trying to i'm trying to envision you guys growing up G give me give me the age differences for the four brothers man so it's about two to three from my uh older sister down to my uh little brother so it's like my my older sister she's 25 and then bro he's uh 23 and then other bro 21 and me 20 and then uh uh little bro 18 so th did you guys cost more growing up in food or cost more in the stuff in the house that had to be fixed because you broke at roughhousing we did break a lot of things uh mom and dad were not happy back, to back, <laughs> back on the island uh <laughs> but shoot food i'd say food still because uh, i was I was really eating a lot. And then there's other three boys playing football, playing, doing the same things I do. So they eat a lot too. And then the only one that wasn't really uh, hurting the bill is probably my sister. <laughs> my son was the biggest kid in his high school, small school. He wanted to be a fullback, wanted to be a tight end, wanted to carry the ball, played the line. It was always kind of a challenge to get him to embrace that because he wanted the ball in his hands. From your perspective, what's the process of making yourself love the game when you know that you're never going to have the object of the game in your hands and do anything with the football? Uh, man, uh, I fell in love with the position early, to be honest. Uh, the moment I got to the States, I knew what the position was asked of, and I knew that Again, that spotlight, just like you, you were talking about, was going to get uh, let go and that I wasn't going to touch the ball. So what, I, what, goes, what goes through my mind is uh, really the brotherhood. That's all I think about is I do it for the man next to me. I put my body on the line for them and so that they can, uh, just like you said, when they have the ball in their hands, do their things and make them feel uh, the way they feel when they when they touch the rock. So. Uh, if I could really make that, I guess, process a lot more joy, joyful and uh, exciting for them, I'm going to do it. And uh, for me, I love blocking. So uh, to really get in somebody's chin and really uh, move them from point A to point B against their will, that's what I love to do. You prefer pass blocking or run blocking? Run blocking. A big man, I don't like going backwards. I love to go forward and uh, create that momentum. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> What's your own preferred ideal spot on an NFL line of scrimmage? Left tackle, right tackle, or one of the guard positions? A preferred, I'd say left tackle. Uh, but I'm comfortable playing anywhere from left tackle to guard to center. So, what to, Have you ever played center? No. Uh, haven't. Only snapped a couple times, but never really had a live rep at center. Which NFL team did you follow growing up, Panay? Oh, uh, a couple, but the one that kind of stuck out to me was uh, the, the Lions. I was a big fan of uh, Calvin Johnson. Uh, loved, see loved seeing him go up, get, get the ball. And also the running back they had at the time was Javid Best. Uh, I would just use them and Madden because my, my brother and I would have tournaments and stuff like that. And I love to use the underdogs. So uh, at the time they, were, they had those two and I would just use them against like my older brother or my little brother. 
I see more and more mock drafts that have you going to the Lions. Now, <laughs> it, 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 would you rather go as high as you possibly can, or are you thinking I'd, I'd be willing to go a little bit lower if it's a team, whether it's the Lions or someone else, that I'd like to play for? Right. Um, uh, to be honest, I'd like to hear my name get called as early as possible. Uh, Why is that? To get eliminate all the stress and also uh, have a team <laughs> <laughs> believe in me that, I deserve to get called early, and uh, uh, all the hard work I put in, I feel like I deserve it. So, we know the first three guys are going to be quarterbacks this year. That's a given. When when does the stress start to kick in for you? Is it at pick number four? Uh, yeah, I would say I would say right there, and then uh, hopefully right, it stops right there, like nothing else. <laughs> I just get my name called from four to, or five, and then after that. Let's just hope I'm not in that position to think about that. <laughs> so when your old teammate Justin Herbert from Oregon says he'd like the Chargers to draft you, hey, you guys are at number 13. Sorry, that's – no, no thank you. Not interested in waiting around that long. I don't know. If Not 13. I'm not trying to wait 13 long. But if they move up somehow and then in God's hands and uh, it is what it is, and if a team wants me, they'll get me. If they don't, it's all good. They just keep pushing. How hard is it for you to accept the fact that this really is out of your hands, that your next chapter in your life, where you live, where you work, got to pick your college, don't get to pick your team? How do you process that uncertainty and that reality that there's nothing you can do to affect it? Uh, again, it goes back to that, uh, my faith and uh, leaning on my mom about that faith too, just kind of just trusting uh, the plan. And again, just like you said, it's the first thing that's kind of out of my hands. I don't get to decide where I go. And uh, I just go wherever I wanted and uh, go from there. So uh, leading up to this, I, I was fortunate to really d decide on what where I go to high school, where I go to college. So uh, it's not too bad to have the NFL uh, take it over from here. Uh, I just want to get to a team, work, and uh, live my dream. You've decided not to go to Cleveland for the draft. You're going to participate virtually. Help me set the stage. Give me like a virtual reality thing. If I'm you on draft night, what am I going to see when I look out in the room? Um, my family. So we're going to have mom and dad next to me on the couch. And my, my brother's either behind me or next to me. And my older sister sitting on her own couch right next to mom and dad. Well, mom and dad are going to be the side. So either uh, on mom's side or dad's side, depending on where she wants to sit. And uh, probably going to have my aunt there in the room and the uh, there and the kids too. I'm gonna have my niece in the building, uh, Lonnie Lillay. Uh, so uh, I'm gonna just have my family there, all sitting on the couch, just kind of chilling and also having food on the table uh, in the background, probably some Pizza Hut. And so, uh, actually, about Pizza Hut, man, uh, finally got a partnership with them. So shout out to Pizza Hut. This one's close to my heart because like it goes back all the way to the island. So I'll have some Pizza Hut on the table. We'll all eat some pepperoni pizza, my favorite cinnamon sticks. So, uh, yeah. They had, they had Pizza Hut on the island. You used to, you and your brothers, go hit the Pizza Hut buffet. They'd see you guys coming. They'd probably lock the doors. I was a little smaller back then, so they didn't really <laughs> think too much of it. But, yeah, my, my aunt was the manager there. So uh, it was just easy. And she's my favorite aunt at the time. And I spent, too, like, probably a little too much time with with her <laughs> and so every chance I got to hang out with her whether she was at work or not she would always come home with with pizza after I'm done playing outside or some cinnamon sticks and uh man it's it was one of my favorite meals of the day and something I look forward to when I was on the island what's your usual pizza budget you know I try to hold it at two pieces but that that it never works how, how many do you do you shoot for when it's pizza time man I shoot for at least eight <laughs> at least eight uh for me depend if the if the slices are cut a little smaller then it might go a little higher uh but if the pieces are right uh, i'd say i'll finish the day off with eight minimum <laughs> do, you, do you go do you go thin crust do you go the regular or do you do the pan so i i, I start off with regular uh but i do like the pan though the the little squares uh that's something i just got i just found out about actually but, yeah, I just kind of just throw it back to what I knew and what I had on the island, and I just munched down. <laughs>
Do you save room for the cinnamon sticks or just like Jello? Is there always room for cinnamon sticks? Yeah, there's always room. <laughs> you just eat as much pizza and then you just take a little uh, intermediate rest, <laughs> I, I would say, and then just kind of get your second wind and then, and then throw down them cinnamon sticks. Your guy Justin Herbert was awesome last year. Why do you think he was able to come to the NFL and just click as quickly as he did? No real prep, got pressed into service when Tyrod Taylor had some sort of a reaction to a, a pain-killing injection, and five minutes later, Justin's out there, and he never looked back. Why do you think he was able to be so good so quickly? Uh, because he's a real professional. From the moment I stepped on the campus at Oregon, I knew that, uh, the way he carries himself, the way he goes about things, the way he prepares uh, he's just—he was built for the NFL, and um, he was—it uh, all started at Oregon. He practiced that. He—he he did that at Oregon. So when he—it was his time to go to the league and really do his thing. It was just kind of second nature to him, and it was easy. It came off naturally. So I just say he's a real professional about the way he goes about things and the way of life for him. You're regarded as the top offensive lineman in the draft, uh, some would say by far, but there's criticism of everyone. I think that's part of the process. Do you pay attention to the criticism, and is there one specific piece of it that bugs you? Um, I'm not a lie. I do see it. Uh, does it bother me? No, but obviously everybody's on social media, uh, and I, I come across some some uh, advice, oh, not advice, some opinions and stuff like that, but uh, no, I just added on to the list of motivation, added, added on to the list of uh, proving, proving people wrong. And so I just added in the back of my mind. And so when I crossed, again, going back to when I crossed that field, crossed the line of play, it's on. Um, I'm putting my body on the line again because I haven't played in the year. So I'm not taking advantage of anything else. I'm coming with a lot of heart. I'm coming with a lot of passion. And I'm not, I'm not coming up short. What'd you miss about football the most last year? Man, just putting on the helmet and pads, and the, and to feel that uh, to feel the hit somebody. That's what I miss the most. Uh, to really get in my stance and come off the ball with violent intention, and to really impose my will on somebody. That's what I miss ultimately. Well, hey Panay, we appreciate some of your time. We know it's a busy week. Can't wait to see where you end up on Thursday yeah. night, and it definitely will be Thursday night, and it'll be early Thursday night, so you can get to bed after you eat all that Pizza Hut. Yes, and sir. Appreciate you very much. Look forward to talking to you once we know who you're going to be playing for, pal. Thank you, man. Appreciate the time.